we are divided. This overwhelming amount of sexism that has been on display this year. Multiple incidents involving female reporters getting groped, getting kissed, harassed while live on television. When I was eight, I was confused with being called bossy because I wanted to direct the plays that we would put on for our parents, but the boys were not. When at 14, I started to be sexualized by certain elements of the media. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen the show Fixer Up? Or show me your hands at all of our campuses. Yeah, a vast majority of us have seen the show. And I think, you know, our, our nation has kind of fallen in love with Chip and Joanna Gaines and their style. And one of my favorite parts about that show is, you know, the, the, right at the beginning where the family chooses the house and Chip and his crew, they come into the house and Chip always says, says you know what day it is? It's demo day. And demo day is just this, this time where Chip and his crew, they begin to get rid of all the old things. They take out fireplaces, they tear down walls, they remove old cabinets, ultimately to put all brand new stuff up. And I think the reason why I like it is because I, one of my hobbies is construction. I like to work with, you know, woods and, and wood and tearing stuff down. And, and it's one of my hobbies. And here's what I've, I've found to be true about construction is it's is it's a whole, a whole lot easier to tear old walls down than it is to put new ones up. But what's interesting is that when it comes to relationships, it's actually the complete opposite. It's a whole lot easier to put walls up than to tear them down. And ultimately, that's why we're in this series, you know, that we started last week called Fractured. Because in our relationships and in our country and in our community and in the church, what we've done maybe to try to protect ourselves is we've put walls up that have eventually just divided us, separated us. And last week we started this series where we talked about, man, the greatest divide is not out there, it's actually right here. It's this battle between my, my sinful nature, the part of me that's alienated and rebellious towards God that naturally wants to do what is evil, waging war against the spirit and the image of God that lives inside of me. And we started this series saying, hey, why don't we take a week, look hard into the mirror and answer this question, how am I part of the problem? How am I not bringing us together but really tearing us apart or building up the wall even stronger? And I hope you did that this week because over the next three weeks, we're going to get to see the symptoms of the divide that's in us, the symptom of racism, the symptom of sexism, the symptom of classism or favoritism, and we're going to have some, probably some difficult, tense conversations. But it's honestly about time the church started talking about these things. And so we're going to start this week with the fracture of sexism. The fracture of sexism, and ultimately sexism is just discriminating against someone based on their gender or their sex. And so we're going to talk about it, and, and, and I know what some people might, uh, uh, just from the very beginning, they might say, they might say, well, I, I don't even know why we're talking about this. Like, is this real in our culture? Like, I just don't see it, Drew. I, I, is this really there? And so I did a little bit of research, and I found a multitude of stats. I'm going to share a couple with you that are, are current in, in our culture, in our world today. In 2015, 2,235 women were surveyed. They were from the ages of 18 to 34. 
And one out of every three of those women had confessed and admitted the fact that they had suffered sexual harassment in their job environment. A recent study found that men are granted promotions to first-time managerial positions 30% more of the time than women. 35% of the world's women were victimized in physical or sexual violence. And this one blew, blew my mind. One in every five women will be or have been raped in their lifetime. That's the reality of our culture today. And so I I started to talk to some ladies on our staff, some women in our church, because I'm a man. And if I'm just completely honest, I don't pretend to actually know the hurt and the pain that is there. I don't even begin to, ladies, I don't want you to think that I get it or I understand because I don't. Because I haven't walked in your shoes. I haven't felt what you have felt. And so I began to talk to some women on our staff and some women in our church. And they gave me a whole new perspective of things that women in our culture today deal with. That uh, I don't think men really even have a grasp of what's happening or what decisions they're making. In fact, this is maybe you can relate to this, ladies. Men, maybe this will be eye-opening for you because it was for me. Because in everyday decisions like where to park, to walk into a store. Women have to choose carefully and intentionally based off of fear of what a man could do. Where where you run at night and and how you exercise and the places you exercise and the time you exercise. Things that I never think about that women have to be intentional and strategic because, hey, you never know what could happen in our community, in our culture. Fear of a man running up behind them or walking up behind them. You see, that's the reality of our culture today. The truth is, is women in our culture today are being objectified, they're being abused, they're being taken advantage of, they're being overlooked and hit on on a regular basis. And so how do we navigate this? I mean, honestly, if if this is the reality of our culture, how do we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, navigate in a culture that lives this way and, and thinks this way? And I want to begin by kind of sending a, setting a theological foundation because sexism is ultimately a divide between genders. It's a, di- a divide between male and female, man and woman. That's where the wall has been built up between these two genders. And so let's start by looking at how God created us as men and women. You see, God created men and women differently. And, and I don't think anybody really would argue that statement. I think it's pretty obviously At the beginning, God chose to make Adam and and Eve man and and woman, and if you hang around a group of mixed sexes or genders, it doesn't take long to realize that, wow, we are different. We're different physically, and our brains think differently, our, our minds work differently, and I don't think anybody will argue that statement. We are different based off of how God created us differently, and we're different in two major ways. Two major ways. The first one is we're different by gender. We're different by gender. God, at the very beginning of time, decided intentionally and strategically to make two sexes. In fact, we see this in Genesis chapter 5. It says this. It says, he created them male and female and blessed them. He named them mankind when they were created. And so God, at the very beginning, he decided to make two different sexes, two different genders. And that separates us. That makes us different. That makes us unique. It's a beautiful thing. But 
even in sexism, here comes a sub-fracture in our community, in our culture, when it comes to the differences based off of gender. Because this is growing rapidly, there's this, this struggle that many people deal with, that many people have chosen in, is this struggle with gender identity. Like, I, I, I am a man or I am a woman, but I feel like I'd fit better, my identity would be better if I was the opposite of what I was created to be. And this is a, a growing rapidly in our culture that when it comes to the differences that God gave us in gender, there's people who feel that they would fit better in if, if God made them differently. And I kind of want to just set the record straight. I just kind of want to walk through this gently, but I want you to understand that God didn't make a mistake in how or who he created you to be. God didn't mess up and say, man, should have went the other way on that one. I, I should have I done things differently. That's not true. And we see this in scripture. Psalms 139, it says, I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, God made you fearfully and wonderfully, perfectedly. He's flawless. Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before your parents even knew you were coming, God had made you and thought about you. He set you apart. And so maybe you're here this morning, and you know what? You're, you're in the midst of that identity battle, trying to figure out where you fit in. Maybe you're struggling through this whole gender identity, or maybe you've made your choice. And one thing I want you to know is, one, you're always welcome here, and you will always be loved here. That doesn't change ever. But I want you to know, and I want to, I want to bring you back to the truths of God's word, is that, one, God didn't make a mistake in how he made you. In fact, he had a strategic purpose for your life with that gender in mind. And that is the truth of God's word, but we will love you and we will care for you as you walk through that journey. So God made us different based off of our gender, but secondly, he made us different, man and woman, different based off of role, the roles that he has given us. Men and women have different God-given roles. And I know it might get a little bit tense I know there might be some struggle in, in this conversation right now, and so let me pause and let me tell you what I don't mean by this statement. I, I don't mean that God has called men to only lead and women not to. I, I don't mean that, that women are, aren't capable of leading or have the capacity or the God-given gifts of leading, but we believe as a church that God has called men to two specific roles. The first one is the role of elder, overseer. And then the second one is the role of leading the family. This is what one scholar says. He says, the scriptures clearly teach about the unique roles of men and women in the church and in the home. They are equal in dignity and value, but they have a different role. And so I, I, I get it. There might be some tension right here in this conversation. Some of you might push back. Ladies, you might push back and say, I don't know if I agree with that, Drew. I, I, I don't know if I can land there. Drew, and, and, and I honestly, I, I get that tension. And do you want to know who I blame for it? I don't blame the ladies. I blame the men. Because here's the reality. Here's why I think a lot of people struggle with this. is because men have chosen to do one or two things with God's call to lead in, in the family. They've either abused it or they've neglected it. And so I think for many ladies who struggle with this, they have a right to because they've seen one, a man, take God's call to lead, and they've watched a man in their life, maybe a father or even a husband, abuse that. They've used that call to make women feel inferior to them. 
They've lorded over them and they've bossed them around. And I get your attention, ladies. I've seen it with my own eyes. Or secondly, they've just seen men choose to neglect the calling altogether. And so you know what women have done? We see this all over history. Is when men won't lead, guess what women do? They lead. They step up. They rise up. And guess what they realize? Wow, I'm good at this. I've been gifted in this. And they lead well. And they look at the slacker of a man in their life and they say, what do we need him for? I can do it better probably on my own. And men have, or women have risen up and they, they have led well. And so we struggle with this tension. And I think one of the greatest struggles we have with what God's word says is the definition of leadership altogether. Because the way we define leadership, when God called men to lead, we think, oh, that means power, and we think that means authority, and we, we think that means that's the person in charge. But let me show you exactly what God called men to. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the call to leadership for men, and men, you need to write this down, it's not a call to be in charge, it's a call to serve. It's a call to love like Christ loved the church. And I'm telling you, I have never met a woman in all my years of living and in ministry who wouldn't follow a man who loved her that way. Who wouldn't say, you know what, my husband loves me like Christ loved the church and I can't stand it. He's too nice and too loving. I've I've never seen it. But you know what the problem is, men? We don't love that way. And we don't lead that way. And it's caused this divide. And just because God has called men to lead does not, does not change value, does not change equality. In fact, I know a lot of women who are strong leaders. Guess what? I live with one. <laughs> I do. Let me tell you, I live with one. I'm serious, though. My wife is very gifted in leadership. And that doesn't make me feel insecure as a man. I don't diminish that. In fact, I encourage that. And I, I watch my wife lead me at times when I need it. And just because God has called the man to lead doesn't say, hey, women, you can't lead. In fact, you look at our organization, our church. We have multiple women on our staff who are strong, capable leaders. Two of the highest positions in our, our church. The first one is SLT. It's our senior leader team. We have four people on that team, and and one of them is a woman. Her name is Courtney Dyer, and Courtney is one of the strongest strategic thinkers on our staff. And let me tell you something. On that team, she offers something that no man could ever offer. You think of our stewardship team. Multiple women serve on our stewardship team. If you don't know what our stewardship team is, they really control the budget, the money of the entire church. They watch over it. They keep us accountable, and we have multiple women serving on that team. It's not that we don't think women can't lead. It's just God has strategically given us different roles, and differing differing roles doesn't diminish equality. It just changes the responsibility that we carry. So the reality is, is God has given us a difference based off of gender and based off of the roles he has has given us. And it doesn't change the fact that, that we are all equal, but it just changes the responsibility that we carry. But here's where I think sexism has grown in our culture and in our communities and ultimately in the church is we've forgotten this truth. That although God has created us differently, those differences were supposed to bring us together and we've forgotten this last part, God created men and women differently but as equals. 
We are equal in the sight of God. And we see this in scripture. Why? One, the first, the image of God. Genesis chapter one, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so we're all image bearers of a perfect God. It makes us equal. Secondly, Galatians chapter 3, it says this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the truth of Scripture is that God sees men and women, male and female, as complete equals. No one's inferior to another one. We are equal in the sight of our Savior, in the sight of our God. And so if that is true, and that's what the Bible preaches, why why do we have to have this conversation? Why is sexism such a big deal in our our culture and in our country and ultimately in the church? Why, Why do we have to talk about this? And I think the reason why is is because we've forgotten the model that Jesus set for us. I think we we forget the type of leader that Jesus was, and I want to remind you of that this morning because when you look to Jesus, I'm going to say a statement that's probably pretty controversial. Let me define what I mean. I believe this, that the first male in history, the first feminist in history was Jesus. Now, I know that term comes with a lot of baggage and a lot of definitions. Let me define what I mean. You see, I think one of the first male figures in history to fight for women's rights, to fight to give women value, was Jesus, our Savior. And let me prove it to you. John chapter 4, I'm going to show you some examples. John chapter 4, you see, in first century, this this is the culture Jesus lived in. In the culture Jesus lived in, women had no rights. They had zero rights. In fact, for a, a woman to look a man in the eyes could get her killed. To speak to a man. In Jesus' culture, women were good for one thing and one thing only. Reproducing. And if they couldn't do that, they were outcasted and ostracized. That was the culture that Jesus stepped onto the scene and lived his ministry throughout. And look what Jesus began to do. John chapter 4, it says, now Jesus, or he, had to go through Samaria. And I love the, the, the setup of this story. He had to. Scripture clearly says Jesus had to. And so you think of Jesus, the agenda he had. He was on a mission to save the world from their sins. Like, that's a pretty big deal. And so if he had to do something, it had to be pretty significant or pretty important. So what was it? Verse 5 says, So he came to the town in Samaria called Shekar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And so Jesus journeys through Samaria, sits down at this well, and here comes a Samaritan woman. Now, you want to talk about fractures? Talk about the fracture between a Samaritan and a Jew. You want to talk about tension? Like, there's no greater tension there. They hated each other. They didn't want to have anything to do with each other. In fact, it was so bad that they would travel around the region so they didn't have to look or see the opposite race or ethnicity. That's how bad the divide was. To make it worse, it was a Samaritan woman. And here Jesus sits down. He looks this woman at this woman. He says, will you give me a drink? He broke Every rule, speaking to a Samaritan was bad enough, but a Samaritan woman, like, no, Jesus, you just crossed the line. Like, no, what are you thinking? In fact, this woman was, like, flabbergasted. 
She was, she was so surprised. This is what she said. She said, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you even ask me for a drink? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? I probably think the woman was, was scared. Like, hey, don't put me in this conversation. I don't want to have to pay for what you're doing to me right now. Like, I don't have to go home and tell someone I talked to a man and be in trouble for. She's shocked that Jesus even says anything to her. In fact, if you fast forward the tape to the end, when the disciples come back to Jesus, look what it says. This is the culture Jesus lived in. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Isn't that crazy? They were surprised. Why would Jesus talk to a woman? You want to know why? Because Jesus broke down the walls of sexism and he began to elevate women. Jesus, in a culture where women had zero rights, zero value, he began this movement. He broke cultural norms and he began to fight on the behalf of women and their value. And we see this all throughout scripture. John chapter 8, four chapters later, a woman caught in adultery, a woman who had no rights, who was found to be guilty, should have died. Guess what Jesus does? He puts his own life on the line to save her life. Many of Jesus' followers, do you want to know who they were? They were women. Because finally a man stood up and broke what culture said, and he began to give women a voice. He began to give them value. He began to make them equals with men. The lineage of our Savior, the one we come every Sunday to worship, the lineage includes several prominent, strong women leaders. And this might blow your mind. Think about this. The most important moment in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus A moment that we celebrate every year. We're gearing up to celebrate Easter where Jesus rose from the dead. And guess who Jesus chose to reveal that news to first? Women. It was women who delivered the message to the men that Jesus was alive. Of all the people Jesus could have picked, he picked a group of women. Because he wasn't interested in what the culture said. He was interested in what the truth was. And it was that men and women were created equal. And so, ladies, I just want to speak to you really quickly. In your fight for your rights, in your journey to to become valued in our culture and our community, don't forget and please recognize that what you're fighting for, your Savior has already given you. What you're searching for, don't find your equality in what a man says about you. Find it in the truth of what God's word says and what your Savior speaks over your life. Because you might be in the journey to find your equality in men who might never give it to you. But let me tell you, the most important man, he's already given it to you. He says you're equal. But here comes another subfracture, another tense moment. Is in our pursuit, ladies for rights and for value and for for you to find a place in equality, I think our culture has taken something good and maybe we've gone a little bit too far with it. And let me explain to you what I mean because we just saw this this past week in our state. In in this battle to to give women equality and and rights, maybe we've gone just a little bit too far because now we're fighting for the the woman or a right to choose. And we saw this happen just recently in the state of New York where they passed legislation. Legislation to have an abortion in the final trimesters of pregnancy. Yeah, Boo is right. 
And, you know, hopefully as a Christian, that news bothered you. Hopefully it hurts you. And I just want you to know where our church stands. Is our, our church stands against any legislation that is for the murder of innocent children who cannot speak for themselves. And here's why. This isn't something that we made up in our head. This is what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 6, it talks about six things the Lord hates. There are six things the Lord hates. And guess what one of them is? Hands that shed innocent blood. And so we stand against that legislation. But I also, I also want to press in for a moment, church. Because I have looked on Facebook and I have watched the news. And here's what I've seen. I've seen many Christians stand up for truth but in the wrong way. I've seen Christians calling other people ugly and disgusting and evil. And here's what I know. I have never seen someone change their beliefs or, or, or change what they think about a certain topic with someone pointing their finger in their face and calling them evil. And hopefully our, our desire is not just to stand up for truth, but it's to love people to who Jesus is and how he loves people. And, and here's, here's my challenge for you, because I think sometimes it takes perspective. As a youth pastor, for 10 years, I walked with multiple women deciding whether or not to have an abortion. I, I've journeyed with that struggle. And let me tell you, not everybody's circumstances are like yours. And here's one of the greatest struggles that many young ladies have when it comes to that decision is they say, I don't want to have an abortion, but guess what? I don't know what's going to happen to my kid if I let him go. And here's what I've recognized about the church is we're totally willing to throw it up on Facebook. Don't abort that kid. If you do, you're a sinner. But when it comes to the orphans sitting in the orphanage, where has the church gone? We've gone silent. We have no problem saying, I am, that's evil and that's disgusting, but we've neglected the command God has given us to love the orphan and to be involved in the system. You see, we'll point our finger at a woman and say, you shouldn't do that, but we're not willing to walk with her and love the kid through it. And so maybe today we, we, we love, we love people. We don't have to agree with their choices. We don't have to agree with legislation, but we love people to change. To Jesus, because at the end of the day, you can't change somebody's heart. You know who can do that? Jesus. And so we love people to him. And so when we look at this differences between men and women, the conclusion that, that any Christian should come to is the fact that sexism is a sin. It's a sin. It's wrong. It's disobedient to the truth of God's word. He made us differently, but we are equal. And to treat anybody based off their gender or sex is wrong. So the question is, is how do we change? How do we help our, our, our culture? And how do, we, how do we help ourselves? And how do, we, how, how do we literally become difference makers? How do we start tearing down these walls that are in everywhere around us? How do we begin to slowly take them down and become a difference maker? And so I want to give us the first step. I believe the first thing we have to do is renew our minds. We have to renew our minds. We have to change the way we think. We have to change the way our heart acts. And here's what Romans says. Romans chapter 12, it says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the Bible says, hey, just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean we should. Just because the world is going that way and the culture is going that way doesn't mean as a Christ follower you should. In fact, honestly, it should be a glaring moment in your head like, hey, if everybody's going that way, maybe I probably should think about this. 
And it says, be transformed. What does that, what does that mean to renew our minds? Okay, I, I get the concept, but how do I practically renew my mind? And I want to give you one, uh, uh, I think, powerful move. So in, in, instead of feeding your mind, you see, to renew your mind, you have to change what's going in. You have to change what you're putting in. And here's what I know. A vast majority of us, guess where we get our information? Guess where we get, the, get our, our, our minds checked in at? For some of you, it's social media. For some of you, it's Fox News. And for some of you, it's CNN or MSBC. You see, we spend a majority of time soaking in what, what people are saying and, and the debates online. And what if the church, what if the church actually said, you know what, instead of, of, of turning the volume up on social media and, and, and the news, maybe I turned the volume down and I allowed God's word to actually change the way I think. Can you imagine what, what the church would look like today if we spent the same amount of time on social media and watching the news as we did reading God's word? Holy smokes, revival actually might take place. I mean, things might, walls might start to tear down if we turn the noise down in the world and in culture. And we said, you know what? I don't care what anybody else says. I care about what my Savior says. Maybe today to renew your mind, you got to turn the volume down on certain things and crank up the volume on God's holy and perfect revelation for you. And so I want to give you practical steps to do that. And I want to speak to both genders this morning. And I'm going to start with women. And, you know, as I was studying, I was like, okay, what can I as a man say to women? And honestly, I, I, I was left speechless. Because I don't understand the hurt and the pain that you have walked through. I'm a man. And so I asked two powerful leaders to come speak to you. And so I want them to come on stage this morning. The first one is my beautiful wife. She's one of the strongest leaders that I know. She runs her own business, and she's a very strong leader. And the second one is Laura Capuano. She's our our Henrietta's campus director. Ladies, how's it going? Good to see you. Laura, Laura speaks around all over the, the country at conferences and, and at different churches. And so ladies, thanks for being here with us. And really, I, I want you to speak to women. In a culture that sexism is a big deal, it's rampant, how do women begin to, to move and adjust to what is, what is happening in our culture? And so Laura, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Uh, so, Drew, I got to be honest that my knee-jerk reaction when you asked this question was a little, there was some tension there. So, ladies, if you're experiencing that. Can you hear her? Oh. Is her mic on? Is your mic on? It looks on. Testing one, two. Jeff, you getting anything? Here, you give her your mic. Let's see if this works. Okay. Oh, okay. So, I was saying that um, I experienced a little tension when Drew first asked us to do this. We both, our knee-jerk reaction was kind of like, aren't we asking the right question but to the wrong people um and so ladies if you're experiencing a little of that tension of like well why is this isn't our problem to solve that's kind of how we both initially reacted um but then i thought wait no right now i'm doing it even now without realizing it i'm extinguishing my own voice because women are smart and creative competent capable of speaking mm -hmm. into a solution and uh, so, you know, like we kind of rethought it and we were like, no, we absolutely should have a voice at this table because a woman's voice at the table is a valuable asset. And so we really thought through just the impact that women have. I think in society now we're seeing sort of a cultural shift 
And we're hearing things, seeing t-shirts and hashtags like the future is female and women have a vital voice. These, some new sentiments. And it tells me that our society, our culture is ready for women to have a greater impact and maybe even craving input from women. So if our society is asking for that, how much more seriously should women who are followers of Christ take that seriously and be ready to use their impact and influence in a positive and powerful way? I think this is working now. Yeah. Hey, it's up you guys. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think women are, tend to be more engaged on social media, arguably, so they have maybe uh, perhaps a greater influence there. Women tend to engage more with younger generations, whether that's through mentoring, coaching, um, parenting, working with peers and colleagues that are younger. So we have innumerable opportunities to shape how women are viewed and treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I initially thought, you know, historically, what did this look like? And, you know, the back of your Bible is the New Testament. Drew had talked about Paul last week. He was a missionary and a teacher for the future church. And he was instructing Christians in a, in a culture where women really meant nothing to care for widows and orphans. So immediately we see, okay, women and children in that time were a marginalized people group. And the church is really being asked to do something that's different. And actually, to add to that, a widow in that culture was considered useless. Without a man to care for her, she was considered worthless. And so immediately, the church, even at a, like a long time ago, was being asked to be different in a, in a society that was embracing in, in, insane sexism. Now, fast forward today. Punt that forward scenario. I'm at home, let's say I'm, I'm home with my kids and I'm venting on the phone to my mom or I'm, I'm venting to my spouse about how this woman just tore me apart on Instagram or I cannot believe that Facebook comment that was so passive aggressive and how could she say blah, 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 blah. However, you know, circling back to the influence of the next generation, there are, I have two daughters, one son, two future women, one future man. They are listening, They're all the ears with the kids, all the ears. And, and, they're, and they're, like what's registering, the silent message is mommy's tearing down women. Mommy's devaluing women. And unfortunately, what's happening is a little seed of maybe gossip or, or whatever that looks like is, could flourish and bloom through the next generation into a full-blown seed of sexism. And we, we got to stop tearing each other apart. Yeah, and I think that one of the best ways that women can do that is when we start to approach each other with compassion instead of competition, I think that builds mm. this sort of sisterhood. Yeah. I think that we tend to be very critical of ourselves and critical of one another. And instead of being so critical, if we can be, strive to be connected, I think we have this sort of unified front as women where we say, no, we respect ourselves and we respect each other. And that creates an environment where we hold people to a higher standard in how they treat us. And I think that one really practical way that we can do this, especially, I think this is important for younger girls, but it's important for us as women too, to focus on encouraging and complimenting and building one another up by focusing on our intellect and our character instead of our appearance. So when we are building one another up, ladies, we just uh, look for those simple things. Or when we're talking to younger girls saying, saying, I love your work ethic. It really inspires me. You put so much effort into that project. Your, your integrity, your character, you're, um, you're thoughtful, you're trustworthy, you're so brave how you stood up to that person. Whatever it is, these, these small things where we say, hey, you have value outside of your outfit. 
And I think when we greet each other with that kind of compassion and encouragement, I do think it creates um, just a healthier environment for women to thrive in. Mm. And it kind of brings up that younger generation to find their value, not in relation to boys and attraction and appearance, but find their value in like God, the character and the, the, the value that God has given us. Yeah, I love that word, spiritual sisterhood or spiritual kinship. And um, I was reading a book a couple months ago that actually had nothing to do with sexism, but Dr. Russell Moore talks about, he gives a beautiful word picture of church. So how can we start doing this today? Like, what, does the, what, what are the handles on this for today? So you walk into one of our campuses, enter the building, experience church, and leave. How could we change that script? What about walking into the building, seeing sisters in Christ, seeing your sisterhood, hugging people, praying for people, finding that woman that shared something confidential with you and asking her how that's going. That's a way that we can do this today. You know, maybe you find your seat and you see a single mom or a, a, a fellow sister sitting alone and pulling that person over, come sit with me, let's sit together. Um, and, and like family reunion style at church instead of like corporate experience style. I think that really starts to change the tone. And I love the word nourishment sisters nurturing sisters, this being our sisterhood, our brotherhood, right in the, these spaces, because the Bible talks about older women mentoring younger women and coming alongside and linking arms. And I think when we're, we're doing those kinds of things, we are starting in here and, and the outside world is looking at that and saying, wow, they're together. They're linking arms. They're encouraging each other. And um, I think that starts to really minimalize some of this like toxic rhetoric that we're seeing. Yeah, it's countercultural. And I think we, the, some of these toxic rhetoric things that we're mentioning, um, I think they're sometimes so low key and so early on and seemingly so harmless that we overlook them or dismiss them. And so we're just gonna kind of put handles on one example of what this kind of toxic rhetoric looks like from a very early and maybe even like harmless perspective. So we can just kind of go back to that schoolyard, like grade school time when uh, the little girl is getting her pigtails pulled by some little boy, um, throwing spitballs, tripping her when she walks by his desk. And um, she might feel embarrassed and humiliated and ridiculed and maybe ashamed, but she comes home from school and kind of reports in. And what do we all tell her? It's because he likes you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, he must have a crush on you. And so it's, we say to the, you know, what we're saying, what our boys are hearing. And now, granted, some of this behavior is to be expected because... Boys may not know how to express their feelings appropriately at a young age. Well, why are you looking at me? I'm not saying that for sure. Some of you are probably killing it at age seven, but maybe not. And so, uh, so, so the behavior might be expected behavior, but left uncorrected. The message we're sending to boys is it's okay to mistreat girls. It's okay to antagonize girls. It's okay to, um, to pick on girls or mistreat them. And that can even be like an affectionate thing to do. And so they never kind of have that sexism in them uprooted. And girls get that same message that it's, you know, it's more important to be uh, cute and attractive than it is to be treated respectfully. So we're, we're telling them that attraction trumps treatment, that being likable is more important than being respected. Mm. And now that might seem like I'm inflating the implications of that a little bit, but I think if we fast forward that behavior and that kind of um, conversation into the eighth grade locker room, I think we can all agree how those, those things left, um, 
left alone to their own devices can become much more destructive mm. in their roots and lead to a more harmful conversation. Um, and so that's kind of our takeaway today is that we want like women to just be reminded that they have a lot of power right now mm. um, and they can use that positively and productively and they can do that through modeling just like strong character, encouraging and supporting each other and then not excusing or dismissing or tolerating bad behavior that's hurtful to girls. And so that's kind of our point is that women, um, what women model and what women tolerate can change the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, can we give it up for these ladies? Thank you, ladies. So, ladies, I, I pray that that was very beneficial. I hope you took notes. And, and here's, here's the reality. I want to challenge you to, to mark something in your calendars. On March 22nd, um, we have kind of a women's gathering. It's one of our equipped classes. And it will be on March 22nd where our ladies gather together and they talk about biblical sisterhood. And so make sure you make that a priority. Um, my wife will be teaching on that. And so I'd encourage you to make that in your, put, mark that in your calendars. And so men, I want, I want to speak to the men real quickly. Because I, I think the baseline for all of us men is, is right here. I think we need to learn to view and treat women with respect and dignity. I think we have to get back to this, men, because the reality is, is our culture isn't living this way. And so let's be difference makers. And honestly, that, that's like the baseline. That's, that's, that's where you should start, not where you should end. And, 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 and I know what most men are going to say. You know, I, I'm not a sexist, Drew. Uh, you know, I, I treat women with respect and dignity. And okay, I, probably you do, but maybe you are a little bit. Because I think every man can relate to this. You know, in, in the office or maybe at the coffee shop or in a public area where you're sitting and watching and a woman walks by and instead of looking her in the eyes, you look at places your eyes don't belong. Every man can relate to that because you've done that. And what you've done is you've objectified a woman You've basically said in your head, hey, you are a tool for my pleasure. And that is sexist. And maybe we changed where our eyes wonder. Maybe if we have to, we just close them, men. Maybe we stop supporting industries that devalue women. Maybe we stop listening, teenager, to the song or, or the rap that just talks about women in a, a derogatory, negative way. Maybe we stop men looking at videos or websites that ultimately just take the value out of women. The porn industry is one of the greatest ones out there that, you know what, what's sad is the reality is most men in the church visit regularly. What if we stopped? I'm not a sexist, but I, I, I enjoy watching porn. That doesn't work. You can't, you can't have both. Maybe we stop laughing at the jokes that aren't funny anymore. You know, like, oh, women are, are good for being barefoot and pregnant or like make me a sandwich. Like those aren't funny anymore. And maybe when someone says them, we stand up and say, no, we, we don't talk like that. Maybe we taught our sons what it looks like to treat women. What if, we, what if we started there and we started to change the cycle in generations and we grew up men who knew how to love women in a biblical manner? 
Guys, let me ask you, when's the last time you needed advice, had an important decision to make, and you sought after the counsel of a woman in your business, in your home? And I, I know what some men will say, like, if I live this way, I lose all my masculinity. Like, I just become a soft man. Well, let me tell you something. The strongest man ever to walk the face of the earth, a man who went to the cross and was brutalized and took on an insane amount of pain, guess what that man did? He stood in culture. When culture was going that way, he said, I'll elevate women. I'll love women. And that man is your Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let me just ask you a question, man. How do you view how do you look at and how do you treat the women in your life? Your wife, your daughters, your friends, your co-workers. Here's the thing that changed it for me. Speak to the fathers, the dads, the grandfathers, and maybe you're here and you're single and you have a desire to be a dad one day. You're a teenager. I want you to, I want you to get this. Because when we think about what we, what we want for, what I want for my daughters and my kids is I want them to know God. And here's the reality, dads, fathers, grandfathers, is the way women are going to define God the Father is most likely how you treat the women in your life. Do you realize that, dads, that, that your daughters and, and your spouses watching you and a lot of who they think God is is based on how you father them? And I don't know about you, but I don't want my strong little girls at home to think that God doesn't care about them, that he devalues them because that's the way their dad treats them. And so maybe today it's a wake-up call for us as men to treat and to fight with women, not against them. To say, you are co-equals with me. And if you hurt, then I hurt. If you're fighting for something, I'll stand next to you and I'll go with you. Because at the end of the day, the truth of Scripture is this, that although we are different, when we stand as man and woman together, God sees us as equal. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the truth of your word. Thank you that you made us equal. And God, may we fight for that equality on both sides. May we live differently. May we be difference makers in our community. In Jesus' name. Amen.